sort of, we want to welcome everybody watching my live stream. We're very glad to have you, very honored to have you. All of you all here, we're very honored to have you. I want you to say this with me. Jesus, come on. Jesus has something good for me today. And we believe he has something good for you today. We want to encourage you to share the stream and share the goodness with other people and share hope. And so we want to do a series just to try to get the year going right. And we're doing a series on forward. We want to put a foundation down for hope. And now we want to get moving. And so uh, we've been talking about last week, we talked, or two weeks ago, uh, we talked about uh, drawing closer to the Lord. And uh, today I want to talk to you about getting out of stress or having tools to deal with stress. Anybody have stress? Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. How do we deal with stress? Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus is always the answer to stress. And so stress is a threat of something, whether it's real or perceived. Stress is something that happens in our lives. Sometimes stress and sometimes our responses to stress are uh, necessary. But the issue a lot of times is chronic stress. When you're under stress all of the time and the body never shuts down, which seems to be the age and the time in which we're in, when we never switch off or shut down from the stress that we're under, it leads to a breakdown. And a lot of times it break, or we have immunity breakdown, we have physical breakdown, we have emotional breakdown, all kinds of breakdown. So the body, when the body, say it with me, when the body never shuts down, it leads to a breakdown. Right, and so the the this is from a um, a Harvard study. Actually, these next two things are from a Harvard study, and it says the causes of stress in the modern world. The first one is worry. When we're worried about things, right? Just worry, 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 worry. And in, and in our world, there's just been for the last three years, it's just been constant worry. The other thing that causes stress in people's lives is hurry. It's never enough time, is there? always trying to get from one place to the other and you're always in between something and you always feel like you're behind and you're never caught up. You just hurry, 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 hurry. You blink and it's, we're gonna blink and it's the 4th of July. I blink and it's Christmas. I blink and it's Easter. I blink and it's, you know. I don't know if you all are that, if that all happens with you. So the hurry, then the bustle. A bustle is something that causes a lot of stress. When you, um, <laughs> what's bustle look like? 826 and 836 is bustle, right? Anybody drive that road? Right? 826, 836, i.e., the highway to hell. That, that's pretty much what it, you know. It's voted this, one of the most stressful roads in the United States, if you can believe that. Is that crazy? Of all the roads in the U.S., I can think of a lot of them. That road is, like, I think, like top five of the most stressful roads to drive. Some days it's cool. Some days it's, you know, everything's mellow. Then there are days when it's like, how did I get on this road? And how do I get off it? So bustle, that causes a lot of stress. Indecision causes us a lot of stress. You have more choices than you've ever had. How many toothpaste can they possibly come up with? Have you seen the toothpaste counter, right? I'm like, I don't know. I think I need, well, man, well I don't know. This one's organic. But this one's more organic than this one. Is that what? I don't know. Which one do I need, right? Indecision, stress. My wife's like, what took you so long at the grocery store? I'm like, I couldn't figure out which toothpaste to buy. I don't know what to say, right? Conflict, relational conflict causes stress. Can I get a witness? Yes. Stress with the children, stress with the boss, stress with the spouse, relational conflict, stress with the in-laws, stress with the family. Any family issue causes stress, conflict, you know, future, fear of the future. Causes a lot of stress. A lot of people freaking out right now over the Ukraine. Oh my gosh! The Ukraine! What's gonna happen? People say, is it World War III? It's not World War III. Okay? Everybody take it, everybody have a Cinnabon, get yourself a donut, you know, have a cup of coffee. It's not World War III. Right? When you see a temple, Christian, that's when you pay attention. I've taught my children this their whole life. Wars and rumors of wars. This is not the end of days. This is a rumor of war and a war. It's a regional skirmish, regional conflict. It's not going to escalate. Israel will be at the center of the end war. If Israel's not at the center of the war, and the requirement for Israel to be at the center of the war is there has to be a temple. Jesus said, let no one deceive you by any means. Matthew 24, he goes into this whole list of what the times will be, and he says, don't let anybody tell you anything different. It's going to go down just like this. And he goes on to describe all of the events. 
And then he says, these are only the birth pains, the beginnings of sorrows. He says, when you see the man of sin, the abomination that makes desolation, i.e., it's a crazy title for the Antichrist, when you see him standing in the most holy place, which is in the temple, when you see the abomination that makes desolation standing in the temple, you need to know something, it's at the door. That's what he said. The man of sin is revealed by a covenant that's made with Israel. How do we know who the Antichrist is? Well, I think he's the Antichrist. I think Joe Biden's the Antichrist. If Joe Biden's the Antichrist, we're all in trouble, right? <laughs> Guy can't even climb a set of stairs, you know? I'm like, really? You know? Come on, man. <laughs> the Antichrist will be revealed through the signing of a covenant, and that covenant will entail peace in the Middle East, and without a doubt, it will include the building of a temple in Israel. When you see that covenant and you see that temple, I've told my kids, my, my daughter's all told, Dad, is this World War III? I'm like, Ryan, what have I told you? I know, you know. When you see a temple, pay attention. That's when you pay attention. When that temple's going up, there will be a temple. They keep saying there's not going to be a temple. 100%, write this down, send it out on Twitter. There will be a temple in Israel because Jesus said there will be. So it doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't want political structures. It doesn't matter who denies it and who says it's not going to happen. They will build a temple in Israel. They will. And they will begin blood sacrifices again because the end, I'm going to get off on an end times teaching here in a second. But they will, build, they will build, do blood sacrifices. The Bible says that at the midpoint, after he's going to sign a seven-year deal, it's going to be basically a seven-year contract, the temple will be rebuilt, and in the middle of it, he's going to put an end to the sacrifice, the evening and the morning sacrifice. In order for that to happen, there has to be an evening and the morning sacrifice. Generation that sees that temple rebuilt will see Passover in full form. In full form. They'll be sacrificing lambs on that mount. The blood will be everywhere. That's what, that's what Passover is, is blood. Blood. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands. I don't know what the animal rights activists are going to do. Because every family had to sacrifice a lamb. And the priest's garments would be soaked in blood from all of the sacrifice. So what's Passover all about? The blood. That's the, that's the message. The blood of the what? The blood of the lamb. Right? The priests were to wear white. And white, they would walk around all day long on blood-soaked ground, back and forth, taking blood, pouring it on the altar, taking blood, pouring it, they would be walking back and uh, squishing the ground saturated. The hem, the, 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 the gar their garments would be soaking up the blood. By the end of the day, the priesthood would be, they'd have blood on their hands, they'd have blood all over them. And the people would witness this. This blood, that blood is necessary. So, don't fear the future, Christian. Don't fear geopolitical events. It's not going, say it with me. The fate of this creation is not in subjection to men. That's right. It's not in subjection to men. I don't care who says what. It's nothing's going to happen. It's going to go down exactly the way that Jesus said. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The Bible says when you see this, you should get excited. When you see the temple, you should really be outside practicing rapture drills. You should be outside. <laughs> the crazy Christians standing in the yard. What are you doing? I'm getting ready, man. I'm getting in shape. I'm getting in shape. <laughs> rapture drills, baby. I'll be out there with my towel on, my rapture towel, right? My Superman cape. Y'all can fly up to Jesus any way you want. I'm going up like Superman. Dun, 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 dun. Cape will be flying. I'm like, what's up, Carmen? Don't fear. The foundations be destroyed. What are the righteous to do? God's still on his throne. He's holding his temple. Gas can heat $50 a gallon. Where's your faith? Tell the Lord, I need an extra 200 bucks a month to pay this gas. He'll give it to you. Who's your provider? Right? Who provides for you? We have no faith. Faithless generation doesn't know what belongs to them. Will the Son of Man find faith on the earth when he comes? Will anybody be believing him? Believe God for a promotion in the midst of this famine. Believe God for an increase in the midst of this decrease. When everything's going up, well, you're going to rise above it, above only and not beneath. Gas prices aren't going to put me under. I'm above the gas prices. Right? Where's your faith? Lack of privacy creates stress, right? You're being tracked on everything. Isn't that crazy? Every, every single thing. 
you have a locator device. Your phone follows you everywhere, right? They know where you go. Your car follows you. They have tracking stuff in your cars. You know, oh, where'd they go? Oh, well, they, they know everything about you. People get all stressed out. Who's watching me? Isn't that the question? So these are issues in our modern society that cause us a lot of stress, a lot of worry, cause us a lot of sleeplessness from this same thing. They, took, they talked about five common things that reduce stress. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says today, but I want to just go over this a little bit with you, just briefly. Five areas for you to reduce stress. So everybody say, ouch. Here it comes. This is what I find with Christians. You can touch anything, but don't touch my food. Don't you dare talk to me about my food, right? That's how we are. A lot of times food creates stress. Food, some certain things that we eat, creates insulin rushes, creates sugar rushes, creates this foggy brain, makes us even more stressful. We can't think, reduces our coping mechanisms, all this stuff. Changing your food and a healthier diet can reduce stress merely because it helps you to cope, right? You have a stressful meeting. You go out and have that big bowl of pasta Alfredo for lunch. You're not ready for a meeting. You're coming back ready for a nap, man. You're ready to, like, sleep that off. And then you miss the meeting, and you're like, oh, wow, we had that meeting, and I wasn't at my best. Uh, pasta Alfredo, thank you very much. Fitness. Get your blood moving, you're designed to move. Something about our body, when the blood circulates, healing comes into the body. There, your body cannot heal itself unless the blood is circulating. God created your body to move. You ever wonder, your body can move in all these different ways. God created you to move. And your blood, when your blood is moving, it produces healing in your body. That's what it does. Get your blood moving, that's a simple thing. Even low intensity workouts reduce stress. Mild walking reduces stress. Faith, spiritual engagement. Um, can you believe it? Harvard actually put out spiritual engagement. Worship. Some of you here today and the burdens are lifting off you. You don't know why. Because Jesus is here. Ain't no trouble where Jesus is. Right? No problems. Jesus ain't got no problems. Well, problems, right? You come into God's presence and the burdens lift, the cares lift. Spiritual engagement. If you, if you leave this place with your burdens, the only one who made you do that is you. You release it to the Lord. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. God will take, God will take care of you. We just put faith on our, on our valley. I mean, what are you worried about? Put faith on it. Faith moves mountains, man. I've been in this game a long time. I've done every, every brand of Christianity you can possibly imagine. And the one that works, the only one that works, is kingdom power. The only one that works. Right? Tickling fancies and all these other things don't work. Coming in and giving righteous sermons to the people don't work. They make religious bigots. That's what that makes. You know, self-righteousness. Faith is what moves mountains. Faith is the currency of heaven. Theology is not the currency of heaven. Faith is the currency of heaven. You understand that? Human need. This is a big one. Let's just say it together. Let's have some therapy here. Let's have some stress therapy. Say it with me. Human need is not the currency of heaven. It's not. God is not moved by your need. He is not moved by empathy. So the more pitiful you try to make yourself, that does not move heaven, Christian. That's why those would faith moves heaven. When the daughter understands her circumstances or the son understands his circumstances and says, this is terrible. Oh, God, this is so terrible. Oh, don't you see, Jesus? He doesn't recognize you. God does not recognize victims. He recognizes victors. And his sons and daughters are not victims. They are victors. So when I'm over here playing woe is me, pathetic me, God doesn't even know who I am. Looks at me and says, hey, hey, hey Gabriel, is that, is that Kevin down there? I, I mean, I know it looks like him, but it certainly doesn't sound like him. I don't know. I don't, he doesn't look the same. Well, God recognizes when a son and daughter takes their rightful place. They know what is theirs. They know what is theirs. And you take your rightful place as a victor. Father, I do not know what to do, but I know you do. I will not fear. Come on. I will not fear the circumstances. I will not fear the arrow that flies by day or the terror by night. Terror is all around me, Lord. This is true, but you are for me. And I stand by faith in you. I stand by faith to receive the wisdom that you have for me and my family in this hour. 
And I believe, Lord, that you are my provider, that you are Jehovah Jireh, that you are Jehovah Rohi. You are my shepherd. You will lead me. All of a sudden, heaven rises. The Lord rises to perform his word. He doesn't rise with human empathy. This is why victim prayers are never answered. So stop praying them. Victim prayers make us all feel good about each other. They create this atmosphere and you get warmth from each other. Oh, poor sister. Oh, I know. And look, I'm all for human empathy. I, I am. We, we have feelings. We have emotions. I got that. I don't want to be insensitive to people's feelings and emotions. But at some point, the feelings and the emotions have to be set aside. And you got to give yourself a couple of these. And you got to take your rightful place. And you have to step up in faith. And you've got to know who and what you are. This is it. This is it. This is what we are. Believe God. Faith moves heaven. Faith is the currency of heaven. It is. So that's one of the things that spiritual engagement, friends, the right types of friends, social interactions actually reduces stress. You're here this morning while seeing each other, getting excited, wagging our tails like country dogs. Oh, hey, how's it going? You know, feeling better about everything already just because we're in a place where there's going to be some positive social interaction. Another thing that reduces stress is by focus, changing what you're looking at. Hello? Begin to look at God's vision, not the television. That would be a huge step for a lot of people. That would change your stress level dramatically. When you started looking at your life through Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And you stop looking at CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, whoever's version of the world. Change what you're looking at. So it's funny, we're going to do Psalm 23 this morning. I want to talk to you from the scripture. I'm going to give you very briefly seven attitudes that's going to reduce your stress. Anybody want to have seven attitudes? What the Bible says, you can be absolutely certain that if you have this mindset, you're in line with what God would have for you to do or for what God would have you for you to be because it's scripture. In Psalm 23, the Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd. I will not want. The number one attitude you need to have as a Christian when it comes to stress is the Lord is your source. Let's just say it together. Jesus is my source. People, come on, people, prophets, positions, problems are not my source. Jesus is my source. People are not your source. Your boss is not your source. You know, the gas company is not your source. These people are not your source. The Lord is your source. And you have to begin to develop an active engagement and an active relational encounter with the Lord and develop that. You have to develop that. The Lord is your source. You'll move right through problems if you have that attitude. Jesus is my source. You're not my source. They're not my source. The economy's not my source. I refuse to participate in the recession. There's going to be a recession. Well, that's great. I'm not participating. Are you? I'm not bound to this world. I'm bound to heaven. Heaven's economy's never been broke. Heaven's, heaven's economy is always up and to the right. If you don't know what that means, in business, that's what you want your chart to be doing, is up and to the right. You know, you want, you, want, you want the numbers to be going up and to the right. Jesus' kingdom is always up and to the right. Right? I'm not bound to this world. I refuse to be bound to this world. This world is not my source. Heaven is my source. I'm an heir of this world. My blessings flow from heaven on earth as it is. Is there any poverty in heaven? Is there a jobless rate in heaven? Then why do you fear? Jesus said, I need money. I tell the Christian, he's got streets of gold. Jesus does not have a problem with money. I do not know where we get this idea. He, pays, he, uses, he uses gold like we use asphalt. And you know, it's like, give me a break. You're in an atmosphere and a world that is immersed with ideation and creativity. You are born in and from a creative God. You are dreamers and visionaries, Acts chapter 2. You shall dream dreams and see visions. Lord, give me a dream of my future. Lord, give me a vision out of this circumstance. Where's your faith? Where's your faith? You're expecting God to do something for you, what he will only do with you. If you do not activate this faith, it lies dormant on the ground. You can have a Bugatti outside, a Ferrari. I don't know what your ride is. You can have a Escalade with blinging with 27s. I don't even know. Big old rims. 
They'd be sitting right outside. But if you don't get in that car and turn that key, it's useless. It's nothing more than an ornament. And that's what our faith becomes, is nothing more than an ornamentation. Empty words without any activation. This kingdom is real, and it is active, and it is powerful. The word of the Lord is living and powerful, sharper than the two-edged sword, divides soul from spirit, bone from marrow, can separate and divide everything. Fear from faith. The word of God can divide it. Right? The Lord is your source. Say it again. Jesus is my source. I will never again look to another as my source. My husband is not my source. My children are not my source. My income is not my source. My bank account is not my source. My job is not my source. My skill set is not my source. My intellect is not my source. Come on. My family is not my source. Jesus and Jesus alone is my source. I will never allow another to be a source in my life apart from Jesus himself. Let's just make it legal. I want you to say this. This is my statement of record before the court of heaven. And I deny and renounce all covenants with every statement that is contrary to that one. The Lord is your source. That's right. Romans 8.32, the Lord did not spare his son. How will he not also freely give us all things? Say it with me, all things. What's all things? All things. I could bring a five-year-old out here and say, what's all things? And they'll go, all things. And they know, right? All things. If he didn't spare his son, how will he not freely give you all things? Your daughters, your sons, your heirs. He does not give aid to angels, the Bible says. He's not helping the angels. He doesn't even give the angels an inheritance. But you have one. You not only have an inheritance, you have a destiny. You have a calling. You have an ekkaleo. You have a divine purpose over your life established before the foundations of the earth. You need to wake up, sleeper. You need to wake up. Know who and what you are. The enemy runs ransack over you because you don't know who and what you are. And as soon as he finds out you don't know who and what you are, he runs right over you. It's like a truck. It's a temptation in the garden. He went to Eve and he started talking to Eve. And as soon as he knew Eve didn't know what he was talking about, he moved in, with she, which he moved in for the kill. As soon as he figured out she doesn't know, as soon as she figured out that she doesn't know that she's an image bearer, she doesn't know that she's in covenant. She doesn't know that she's the heir. And as soon as he, he knew who she was, she didn't know who she was. And as soon as he figured out she doesn't know who she is, he moves in for the kill. That's the story of most Christians' life. They have no concept of who and what they are. And the enemy moves in for the kill. And he comes in your house eating Doritos. We think we're leasing the house from him. You know, you think he's the owner of the house because he, he moves through your household like he's, like he's the king because you don't know who and what you are. Galatians 6, I say the heir, as long as they are a child, is no different than a slave, though they are masters of all. He said, I'm an heir. I'm an heir. But as long as I'm immature, undeveloped in the things of the spirit, I'm no different than a slave, though Jesus has made me masters of everything. Yeah, you're a master of everything. That's 100% true. But so long as you're spiritually undeveloped and spiritually immature, you're no different than a slave. You are still in bondage. You're a bound heir. And how do you get out of bondage? You grow up. You start understanding who and what you are. You begin to apply the principles of this kingdom. You become obedient. You move with a different rhythm. You do not move with the rhythm of the culture. You don't move with the rhythm of the church. <gasps> you move with the rhythm of the kingdom. It's not about church culture. It's not about world culture. It's about kingdom culture. Whatever the values are of the kingdom, they need to become the values of your life. This is how the kingdom manifests. We value the wrong things. We focus on the wrong things. We give ourselves to the wrong things. There's no power neutered in our power, yet we're heirs, endowed with unstoppable power, clothed in power. Is anybody here? You are clothed in power. You understand that? You have dunamis in you. You have the dynamo of the living God. You have the power generator of the living God moving in you, living in you, and you don't even know how to get him working. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you are clothed in power. Spiritual authority, cultural authority, every arena, above only and not beneath. Yet we subordinate and capitulate and bow 
and worship at the altars of culture, worship at the altars of cowardice. And we wonder why we're not changed. It has to come from the leadership, Christian. The people are what, they, what you sit under, just so you know. If you sit under weak and capitulating churches, you will become weak and capitulating. Everything produces after its own kind. It's the law of the seed. You sit under you know, shiny, happy people church, you're going to be shiny, happy people, and you're going to be about as, de- as deep as a kiddie pool. right? That'll be your depth. Oh, there'll be lots of water splashing around, but there won't be any effectiveness. There won't be any depth to it. You ever notice that the kiddie pool, when the wind blows, all the water goes out of it? Isn't that interesting? Because there's no depth to the kiddie pool. Right? We celebrate the kiddie pool. Jesus isn't celebrating the kiddie pool. It's deep water, Christian. He calls you to the deep water, not the kiddie pool. If you want to start in the kiddie pool, that's fine. Get yourself a little splash around. Okay, now let's go to the deep end. Let's take off the swimmies and let's go a little deeper. Let's take off the, the pool diaper and let's go a little deeper. Got a bunch of Christians been saved for 30 years and they still got the swimmies on and the pool diaper on and they're splashed around in the kiddie pool. And they wonder every time the wind of culture blows away why their water goes, why the shallowness and the depth of their faith is gone because you're in the kiddie pool. You don't immerse yourself in the deeper things of God. You like it shallow. You like it candy. You like it bubble gum. Oh, I got another verse. I'm going to say it. I'm just going to say it. Moab has been at ease since its youth. It is not empty. He has not emptied himself from vessel to vessel. Therefore, his scent remains. God prophesying over a nation and telling them everything that has been given to this nation, they've done nothing with it. They've been at ease since their youth. They never emptied themselves or done anything with what I have given them. Therefore, their scent remains. They're unchanged because they have never done anything with what they've given. Why? Because they like it easy. They like it comfortable. Where there is no challenge, there is no change. You need to be absolutely certain of that. You will not change without challenge. And say it with me. Challenge is painful. Mm. Mm, it hurts. It hurts. Right? You have to, because you know why? Because you think you got it right and you don't. And so anytime somebody confronts you on what's, what you don't, what you think is wrong, it hurts you. We like comfortability. We don't like change. Jesus is all in on change. He loves change from glory to glory. Every change is better. Every change is higher. God loves you. Your sons and daughters. Do not waste your destiny in this generation on weakness and shallowness. Do not waste it on weakness and shallowness. Become who you were called to be. He will give you everything. Jesus is your shepherd. means he's going to guard you, guide you, watch over you, the whole nine. Second thing you need to do, you need to know that God's your source. Second thing you need to do is you need to slow down. You need to slow down. Everybody say, take a breath. Yeah, when I'm stressed and you're freaking out, you need to take a breath. If you don't take a break, your body will make you take a break. Anybody with me? Yeah? The the biggest frustration I have with my own life is human limitation. I hate human limitation. I hate it when I'm hungry. I hate it when I'm tired. I hate it when I don't have enough time. Anybody with me? That's a huge source of frustration for me. But I've learned, and I'm not there yet. I'm on my way. I've learned that if I will slow down and listen to the Lord and focus on his priorities that he'll begin to maximize my time. He'll extend the time, he'll redeem the time, he'll restore the time, but when I'm just chasing, 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 it doesn't work. You have to slow down. He makes me lie down, Psalm 23, 2. He makes you lie down, makes you lie down. Six days you shall work, the seventh you must be rest completely, even during your seasons of plowing and harvest. Even in business, you are to take a day off and honor me, the Lord says. I don't care how busy you are. I don't care if they just the stock market starts doing after-hours trading on Sunday afternoons. I don't care. Jesus says you're to take a day off. What is, what is the Sabbath? It's the rest from common work. That's what the Sabbath is. The Sabbath isn't we all just sit on a couch and stare at each other and nobody move and we shut the TV off and the lights are off and nobody's doing anything. It's the rest from common labor. Whatever you do from Monday through Friday, you're not doing it on Sunday. Jesus is the focal point. That's the idea. 
Spiritual enlightenment, spiritual development, emotional refreshing, that's the focus, not your business. It's the rest from common labor, right? The Pharisees, that's what Jesus had this conflict with them. He said the Sabbath was given for man, not man for the Sabbath. They turned it into this religious ritual that they wouldn't even rescue a donkey or, or Jesus wasn't allowed to heal on the Sabbath, you know, because there's no work to be done. And it's like, no, it's common labor. This isn't common labor. How many knows when you get healed, that's not common, right? I mean, it's com it should be common to us, but that's, that's, not, that's not some nine-to-five job. That's not secular things. The emphasis was to be upon spiritual things. We're to take a day out of our life and get rid of our common labor, and we're to focus exclusively on Jesus. To rest from, come on, amen. Rest from common labor. Reach, say it with me. Rest from common labor. Rest from common labor. Recharge spiritually. Recharge. That's what you're doing here today. You're getting filled up. You're getting pumped up, right? You're getting a B12. You're getting, you're getting, you're getting, I don't even know, Red Bull. I don't know. You know, whatever it is, you're, whatever it is, you're getting recharged spiritually, and there's emotional refreshment coming to you. Rest for your soul. Number three, find the good. You want to have the right attitude in times of stress, right? Jesus is your source. Take a break. Take a breath. Remember the Lord is your source. Focus on what matters in spiritual. Find the good. The Bible says he makes me die, lie down in lush meadows. He leads me beside calm and quiet waters, and he restores my soul. Philippians 4.8 says, you will, do your, your, you will find, this is a different translation than the one I'm used to reading, you'll do best by filling your minds with, and meditating on things that are true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious. Focus on what is best and not as worst. Focus on what is beautiful and not what is ugly. Find the good. There's good in every situation. There's something good in every situation, no matter the stress level. Somebody says, oh, I got fired from my job. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. You needed a promotion anyway, didn't you? You needed a change anyway, didn't you? Job's not your source. Where's the good? This gives God an opportunity to do something great in my life. This gives God an opportunity to show his greatness in the midst of all this. Find the good. Find the good. So here's a couple practical tips. Start the day with Jesus and not the media. Spend the moment in the morning. They say the first 10 minutes of your day is what sets the tone of your day. So when you wake up and that first 10 minutes is toxic, right? It, chances are your days, and we all kind of go, well, yeah, no, that's kind of true. It is true, you know? And so it's like, and so we're like, I got all these other responsibilities in the morning. Well, then get up earlier. Yeah, you got to get up earlier, which means you probably got to, you know, you got to make some shifts. You got to make some changes. But start your day with Jesus. Put yourself in the right frame of mind, right? Even if you're saying, I, I, if, what if I can't do it seven days a week? Can you do it one? Can you do it three? Can you do it five, right? It's not about, per it's not about perfection. It's about direction, right? It's about leading your life in that direction and being consistently down that pattern to keep doing it. I'm believing God to witness to somebody for Jesus one day a week, right? And so I've been doing this. And so Sherry and I went to this new breakfast place. I'd never even seen it before. It's like right down the street from my house. You know, and I've been witnessing to people every day, you know, talking to them about Jesus because I'm believing God. Alejandro's like, I'm believing God to tell somebody one day a week. I'm like, what, yo? I got, I got to up my game, man. I mean, this guy can do it. I can do it. You all need to take on that, that challenge too and begin to reach out for your faith. We have six cards over there. You can take out six cards and invite somebody to elevate one day a week. Or if you're really all in, you can talk to them about Jesus. But anyway, I'm sitting at this restaurant with Sherry and the waitress comes up to the table. And we're talking and I just felt myself compelled to stare at her. And I'm just sitting here staring at her, you know, and I keep thinking, why am I looking at this woman? And it didn't even dawn on me until I walked out the door that the Lord was dealing with me to witness with her. He's like, I mean, I was like, why was I looking at her, Lord? And he's like, because you're supposed to tell her about Jesus. That's, that was the person. But, you know, it was just, she's looking at me, and I'm looking at her, and I'm thinking, do I know you? Do I, you know, I'm like, <laughs> there's something good. Put beauty around you. Man was placed in a, say it with me, mankind was placed in a garden, not a cubicle. Sometimes you got to get out of the cubicle, and you got to go for a walk. You got to surround yourself with what is beautiful. Art, worship, flowers, cool cars, right? Picture your wife. That's always a good one. Surround yourself with something beautiful. Nah? All the ladies said. That's right. That's right. You got to score points whenever you can, guys. I'm telling you. Go for a walk. Go outside. 
Fairchild's is having an orchid festival. Go to the orchid festival, right? Homestead's having a seafood festival. Go to the seafood festival, right? Go have a Cinnabon. Go walk around. Go have a nice time. Refresh yourself. Go for a walk. Go outside every day. That's another thing they said, that people that go outside every day and just like go for a, a short walk are less stressed than people who don't. That's a good one. The fourth thing is look to the Holy Spirit for wisdom. Psalm 23.3, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Say it with me. Jesus will guide me. When I'm stressed out and I don't know what to do, the Lord will guide me. He promises. Try it. Say this. When I look to myself, I've already lost. You are insufficient. The Holy Spirit is sufficient. You, are, you don't have what it takes, and that's okay. Jesus loves you anyway. That's why he gave you his spirit. Jesus doesn't have confidence in you. He has confidence in his spirit in you. Usually I leave that linger a little bit, but I'm running short on time, so. God calls you to things. Like, God's called me to this. I don't know. What's he calling? Why is he calling me? You know, because he doesn't have confidence in you. That's why he's calling you. What a great day. That'll make, that'll make you go relax. You know, God's told you to do it. He doesn't know, and you don't know what you're doing. Hey, happy day. Do you know why? Because Jesus does. God is not expecting you to look to yourself. He's expecting you to look to the Holy Spirit. Do you get that? You don't know what you're doing. You're stressed out. You got to make a lot of decisions. You're like, I don't know which decision I'm supposed to make. God's telling, I feel like this is something I'm supposed to do in my life, but I don't know what I'm doing here. The Holy Spirit knows exactly what he's doing. You don't know, but he does. John 16, 13. This is why we have to develop an interpersonal relationship with the Holy Spirit. We have to learn to hear him, right? There are churches out there that don't believe God speaks at all. They believe God wrote a book and he became mute thereafter, right? It's all in the Holy Scriptures, Kevin. It's all right there. There's a Logos word, which is the Scripture. There's Rhema word, which is revealed word. And there's Prophe word, which is prophetic word. God is still speaking to you prophetically. God is still speaking to you in Rhema form. He's still revealing things to you that are great and mighty that you know not of. He will tell you things that are great and mighty that didn't come from you. Not everything's a verse. I'm all in on verses. I'm all in on verses. I'm all in on Bible. I'm all in on structure. But I think we neglect the spiritual things sometimes for logos. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, speaks scripture. Make no mistake. So whatever he's saying, it'll be in the context and the frame of scripture. But he's going to speak to you, and you have to be open to him hearing you. He's not, he, he didn't lose his voice. He's still speaking. Those that have ears to hear, let them what? That's an, that's an ongoing statement. Jesus said, my sheep hear my right. Did he stop talking? Who told you that? Pastor so-and-so said so. Well, pastor so-and-so is wrong. Well, he's got an MDiv and a PhD from, you know, Yale Bible College. Well, it doesn't matter. Pastor so-and-so is wrong. Jesus is still speaking. You'll be quickly to understand how quickly he speaks to you. If you haven't heard him in a while, start reading your Bible. And God will start talking to you because you're, you're, you're leaning into the scripture. You're leaning into the scripture and he'll start speaking to you, right? Because if you don't have the confidence in the revelation and you don't have the confidence in the prophetic, you can have the confidence in the word, right? But we should develop and grow ourselves to where we have confidence in, in rhema word. We should grow and, get and develop ourselves till we, we have confidence in prophetic word, right? When God speaks, we need to begin to develop that, that kind of thing. John 16, the Spirit of God will lead you into all truth. So who's leading you into all truth? The Holy Spirit, right? Yeah, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, whatever. However, you, but, you know, nonetheless, the same idea. The Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. When you don't know what to do, look to the Holy Spirit. Don't look to yourself. Don't look to Dr. Phil. Don't look to Oprah, right? Don't look to the psychic hotline or your horoscope. What's my horoscope say today? You know, look to the Holy Spirit. Jesus does not say with me, Jesus does not have a problem with outside sources. He has a problem being second. Jesus is the first option. And for me, he's the first and only option. I will beat on that door until I get an answer. 
I will seek him by day and by night. I will do whatever it takes, but he will speak to me and I will hear him. Most of the time God's speaking, but you don't have the confidence to hear what he's saying. It's true. It's true. So, but God, God's always speaking. Psalm, the, said wisdom's, or Proverbs says, wisdom's being poured out in the concourses of the street. He's dumping it out in the public square. You need wisdom? Say this with me. Wisdom, wisdom. is easy. easy. Courage, Courage is difficult. Wisdom's easy. I find most people have wisdom. They don't have the courage to do it. The disciples in the early church were not praying for wisdom. They were praying for boldness to do what they already knew they were supposed to do. They didn't need wisdom. They knew what God had told them to do. What they needed was fearlessness to do what God told them to do. Wisdom's in spades. Jesus is dealing wisdom in spades. He's handing out like Tic Tacs, right? Pouring it out in the street. You need wisdom? God will give you wisdom. If anyone lacks wisdom, let them ask. He'll give it to you liberally. Liberally. Courage is what you need. That's the greater prayer. Once you have wisdom, you need to be endowed with courage to do what you need to do. Fly by the instruments. Say this. Number five, fly by the instruments. Anybody airplane pilots here? Anybody at all? No? We have them from time to time. They do a thing called blind flying. They can only fly by their instruments. They, they close the window on the plane and they have to look at the gauges in order to fly by the plane. Sometimes you, things are so dark, so confusing, you don't know what to do. Can I get a witness? Amen. Right? Bible says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff will comfort me. It's very dark. Doesn't know which way to go. Doesn't know which way, where to turn, left or right. Sometimes when we go through these places where we don't know, we're just overwhelmed. We can't see. We don't even know if we're facing up or if we're upside down and heading down. We don't know which direction we're in. We have to fly by our instruments. What are instruments? There's basic things in, to, to, to the Christian life that are instruments. Scripture is a basic instrument. Prayer is a basic instrument. Fellowship is a basic instrument. Communal worship, where you're honoring and worshiping God and listening to him, that's a basic instrument. Faithfulness is a, base, is a basic instrument. Not giving up, not quitting, right? If you draw back every time there's a problem, there's a problem right? Or if you only show up to Jesus when you have a problem, there's a problem. I see, I see it all. I see all different types, you know. People show up, you know, and every time there's a problem, they run away, you know. Oh, God doesn't love me, and they run away. And then there's the other, there's, there's the other person that only shows up when Jesus, when they have a problem in their life, right? Triage. They need triage. Put me back together. And he always does. And as soon as they're back together, away they go. And then a year later, they come limping in the door again, and I'm like, he'll fix you. At some point, he's got to stop being your emergency responder. And at some point, you have to let him become your Lord. And at some point, you have to let him become your leader. You have to let him lead you. We have to fly by the instruments. Though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Didn't say there was death. It says there was the shadow of death. You ever seen a shadow? Shadow, uh, you can have a little tiny cat, and the projected shadow can be much bigger than the actual thing is. Right? It's a shadow of death. So a lot of times your circumstances are projections of something that is much smaller than you realize. <laughs> Death's around me, I'm going to die. That's a shadow, man. Right? God's with you. Number six, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Let, everybody say this with me. Let Jesus defend me. I have a newsflash for you. Not everyone is going to like you. <gasps> But I'm so likable. You can be as sweet as Pollyanna, and there's somebody out there that hates Pollyanna, right? <laughs> Not everybody's going to like you. People have issues. Yeah, they're fickle. And a lot of times, unbelievers, the darkness in them is rejecting the light that's in you. And that darkness is creating an offense towards you in order to keep that light from getting anywhere near them. And so there's a, there's a demonic activity going on here. And so they'll offend you personally. So the Bible says, regard no one according to the flesh. If we look at unbelievers, we've got to realize there's a lot more going on here than meets the eye. Right? There's spiritual stuff. I used to go to, everybody remember Blockbuster? Anybody remember Blockbuster? Right? Exactly. Blockbuster video, man. I miss that every now and then. I went to this Blockbuster one time. I'm checking out with the video. And man, this, this, uh, 
this, uh, the checkout guy was always rude to me. It was like my local blockbuster. And I'm in line and I'm with my friend Mark and I'm praying. I'm just going, Jesus, don't let me get that guy. Don't let me get that guy. Oh, Lord, don't let me get that guy. Don't let me get that guy. And sure enough, I got that guy, you know. And he is so rude, you know. I mean, this guy is just so rude. If I ask him for anything, the guy's rude, right? I can be rude back, but I don't want to be that way. But nonetheless, and I kept telling Mark, I'm like, this guy's really rude. This guy's really rude. And then I come up to the counter and Mark, who was more spiritual than me on that day, looked at him and <laughs> it's true. I wasn't there, and uh, I, was, I was not there. And so Mark looked at him and said, hey, man, what's your name? And the guy goes, Joshua. And he says, uh, yeah. And Mark says, why are you so angry, Joshua? And he just looks at him and tells him that. And the guy's looking at him. And he goes, what has hurt you that makes you walk around with this temper and this anger? And this dude started spilling his guts at the counter. And I was like, that was a huge eye opener to me because here I am allowing this guy. And then we were talking about it. And he said, you know, that's the, it's just demonic power with this guy. You come here all the time. You encounter this guy. The devil sees the light in you and, and offends you. To, offense is to, put, to offend is to push away. And so the idea is that the enemy will offend you, push you back in order to keep that space safe for itself because it does not want that light encroaching. That's why I love covers everything. That's why love is the weapon, right? Serving those who are evil to you. I want to serve him, but I want to serve him a knuckle sandwich, you know? So, <laughs> I want to serve him a conversation with his manager. That's what I want to do. But that's our weapon. That's our weapon. And so if you can understand that, David was criticized. David was made fun of. David was mocked. The people around him were insanely jealous of him. David was the subject of rumors even after he became king. Oh, isn't that the guy who uh, had an adulterous affair with the granddaughter of one of the priests? That's who Bathsheba was. She was actually the granddaughter of one of the priests. Isn't that the guy who murdered her husband even when he was king? Didn't he do it in a diabolical way? Yeah, he sent him to the front lines. Can you imagine? So rumors always around him, belittled, mocked, hated. David was outright hated by people. But the one thing you see with David is he never retaliated. <laughs> I don't know how he did it, but he never retaliated. There's one time when he was going to retaliate, right? He was going to kill, uh, I think it's Nabal, because Nabal wouldn't, he was honoring Nabal and serving Nabal's flock and protecting his flock. And he asked Nabal, hey, would you send food for my men? We're out, we are not asking much for you. Just take, hey, give us some, give us some food because we're out here. And, and while we're out here, we'll protect your flock. And Nabal basically said something to him the wrong way. And uh, David was tired and hungry and about fed up with everybody giving him crap, right? And so David told all of his men, gird up. And he said, God, do to me if I'd leave one person alive in that man's house. And David was on a war path. I mean, he was ready at that moment. And Abigail came out, Nabal's wife, and she spoke to him. And she said, don't sin like this. You have the anointing on your life. The Lord will make you king. And if you transgress here, this will be a sin against that anointing and against that calling. And she came out with donkeys full of food, right? You know, the word Nabal actually means fool. So the woman's married to a fool, right? And so she brings out and she honors, um, she honors David with, with the food. And David relented, right? That's about the only time I can ever remember where David wanted to retaliate. But many other times where there was no retaliation from him. He didn't retaliate. He looked at things differently. The Bible says this, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Right? God will honor you in the midst of your enemies. God will honor you in spite of all of the dishonor. And a lot of times the enemy is provoking you to lower you to a standard that you are not called to because he's trying to bait you into a transgression that diminishes the anointing and the calling that's on your life. He wants to diminish what God wants to do, and so he baits you into something. And I'm human. <laughs> I'm human. I, but I always ask the Lord. I've learned to ask the Lord. And there's many times I want to retaliate, and he says, say nothing. There's many times I want to draw the sword, and he says, don't do it. And I don't. And I don't. 
And so our job is to let God speak for us. So when you're stressed out and everybody's talking about you at the water cooler, you know, and everybody wants to do you harm and everybody's saying all this stuff, let the Lord vindicate you. Let God speak to you because he promises here. You should actually even claim that as a promise. Lord, you said, I'm surrounded by enemies in this work environment, Jesus. I am surrounded by enemies in this home, Jesus. And you said you would put a table in the presence of my enemies. You would anoint me, you would empower me and enable me to rise above this circumstance. And you should claim that as, an, as a promise. Psalm, 18, Psalm 18, how I love you, Lord. You are my protector and my strong fortress. In you I am safe, and you protect me like a shield. God's going to protect you. God's going to protect you. Somebody, an old mentor of mine said, you can defend yourself, Kevin, or you can let God defend you. The problem a lot of times I find is when I'm weak. Like David, when I'm tired, right? I'm hungry. Uh, I've been doing a lot and people don't value it, and people don't honor it. Come on, ladies. And they don't honor it, and they don't value it. You've been, you've been, you've been cooking. You've been, you did a party. You know, whatever it is, you did something, and nobody notices, right? It's whatever it is, and David is like that, and I find that a lot with myself, is when I've just, when I've had it up to here with people's complaints, and I've had it up to here with, with ingratitude, right? I want to gird the sword. Let's roll, right? I want to do that, but that's not always the right thing to do. That's not always the right thing. And even when I'm supposed to bring correction, even as a leader, as a pastor, I have to pray about that because you want to deliver that with the right heart. You want to deliver that with the right tone, right? Because we can draw the sword very, very easily. Spiritual authority carries swords. Do you know that? That's why a lot of you have been carved up quite righteously from some churches, right? Because they carry a sword. And they're given a sword, and they can surgically help you. They can help to arm and defend the areas of your life, or they can hack you to pieces with it. <laughs> That's the same thing with leadership. Leadership within churches are given swords. They can advance the gospel. They can surgically help and defend the people, or they can stab the pastor in the back. That's another thing that happens as well, right? So swords should not be handed out very, very quickly right? Because of the power that is being used. Peter's the guy who wielded the sword, right? He's just whipping that sword around. No spiritual discernment, just whipping the sword around, hacking, cut the guy's ear off. Jesus is like, what are you doing, man? Puts the ear back on, right? How we... And they still arrest him. How can you arrest a guy that just puts somebody's ear back on? I'd be like, we're arresting him? Crazy. Anyway, Number seven, the world is not your, it's not, say it with me. This world is not the final answer. Psalm 23, six. Surely, say it with me, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our hope, we are to live with eternity in mind, Christian. Eternity is our world. That is our lens. Heaven is our lens. We are to run a life, run a race, and live a life knowing that that world is ours, that we will stand before the Lord and we will give an account, not for sin, but for the life that we've been committed. Everything we've done for him will be rewarded. Everything we didn't do for him will burn like hay, wood, and stubble. It'll go. It's like that. It has nothing to do with salvation. It has to be with reward. We cannot get caught up in this world and in this world's systems and in all of the dysfunctions and the distractions. Wag the dog. The devil get, wags the dog and gets the church to look at all of these things that are non-essential. And you know what we waste? The very thing that we don't have a lot of, time. Time. People became obsessed with COVID for two years, right? Obsessed. Obsessed with COVID. COVID's over, you know? They're, they're obsessed with Ukraine. Ukraine will be over. Advance the kingdom. Do, do what God has told you to do. Be instant in season and out, whether it's popular or whether it's not. Focus on the things of his heart. I asked the Lord many times, and he had asked, I said, what do you want me to do here? He said, put your foot on the gas. There's a train wreck up ahead. There's a car crash up ahead. What do I do? And the Lord said, floor it. Floor it. Don't pull back, go harder. 
Don't pull back, go further. That's Jesus, ladies and gentlemen. This world is not your home. Don't allow this circumstance and the entanglements of this life to prevent you from bearing fruit. The two trees that rooted, one fruited, the other one didn't. The other one rooted too, but it didn't, root, it didn't bear fruit because it got too caught up in the entanglements of this life. The geopolitical issues, you know, uh, the gas price situation, you know, all this other stuff. Ask the Lord, Lord, what do I do here? I guarantee you, I'm going to give you an answer, and I know absolutely. And you know what he's going to tell you? Don't look at it. It is inconsequential to you. That is inconsequential to me as a son or a daughter because my economy doesn't flow from this earth. The economy that I bind myself to is what I will be subjected to. If I say, oh, what am I going to do? But I got to look at the gas prices, Pastor, because my, you know, look to heaven, Christian, right? That's $200 more a month for my family. Believe the Lord, Christian. Come on. Believe Jesus. He can't do 200 bucks more for you. I'd believe him for 1,000. Say, Lord, Jesus, gas prices are up. I got $200 and more expenses for my family. I need a grand. Jesus would be like, you'd be like, my kind of guy, right? Goodness and mercy is with us no matter what is going on. Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens. I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Let me partner with you. That's what it's saying. And as I partner with you, learn from me. For I am humble and gentle of heart, and in me you will find rest for your souls. For my partnership, that's what a yoke is, is a partnership. They put two animals together so that they would share the load. Jesus said, yoke with me, partner with me. My yoke is easy. My partnership with you is easy. And the burden that I carry or the burden that I draw with you will be light. In Galatians 1.6, and I got to close. Just being confident of this very thing, that he who began the good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God's not done with you, right? This world isn't your home. Your circumstances do not define your identity. Your circumstances are not, the, the, they don't have the final answer. Jesus has the final answer. Do you believe that? Yes. If you're here this morning, if you're watching my live stream and you don't know Jesus, today's your day. Say, God wants to do a work in your life. God wants to change your season. God wants to change your circumstances. But the first thing he has to deal with is something called sin. And sin causes a relational problem. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This sin separates us from the Lord, and we cannot have relationship with him. Thereby, that's why Jesus came. The Bible says that the wages of that sin is death or eternal separation, but the gift of God is life through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the gift. He's the bridge that creates the, the, the forgiveness of sin and the restoration of relationship. And the Bible says, if you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he has risen from the dead, you will be saved. When you come born again and you can become out of darkness into light and you can be forgiven and you can have a right relationship with God. We were just at a restaurant, and at this restaurant, we asked the waiter, Alejandro was with me, and Alejandro asked the waiter, he said, would you like to have a personal relationship with God? And the waiter grabbed his heart and said, I would love to have a personal relationship with God. And it's as simple as a prayer. If that's you, and you want a personal relationship with the one who made you, with the one who's got it all figured out, today's your day. And so we're gonna pray, and Elevate's gonna pray with us, and we wanna pray with you at home, and we wanna pray with you watching by live stream. You don't have to understand it. The Bible says, believe in your heart, not your head. You can believe things that you don't understand. You can receive things that you don't understand. So let's just pray. Pray with me. Say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior, and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. And so I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to restore me. I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name. Say, that's it? No, that's the start of it. If you, did, you prayed that prayer, hit us up on, e on Gmail. We would love to connect with you a little bit further. We're going to have a prayer team available for those of you that need prayer this morning. And then let me bless you one more time. Just open up your hearts and receive the blessing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. 
May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. This is how I find my battles. What we're doing tonight. This is how I find my battles. It's when you think you're lost. It may look like I'm surrounded. Return. 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 Return.